Hello, and welcome to the Dear Mind You Matter podcast. My name is Allison Walsh. I'm a longtime mental health advocate and vice president at Advanced Recovery Systems. On each episode, I will be joined by my colleague and clinical expert, Dr. Angela Phillips. This show, along with our mental health and wellness app, Nobu, are just some of the ways we're working to provide you with actionable tips and tools to take really good care of yourself each and every day. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite note-taking device. It's time to fill your mind with things that matter. Alex Holmes is an award-winning London-based writer and existential mental health coach. In 2021, he won the Creative Impact Award for Best Mental Health Awareness for his writing and conversations on mental health. He has been featured as one of the top 20 mental health leaders supporting the nation's well-being and won the Creative Impact Company Awards for Mental Health Awareness in 2021. He's the author of Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging, and Connection, and delivers weekly notes on these topics through his heart-to-heart letters. He's also the founder and creator of the leading podcast, Time to Talk with Alex Holmes, recognized by British GQ as a top podcast for 2020 and 2021. So anyways, well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? It is an amazing pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on. Um, My name's Alex Holmes. I am a writer. I'm a mental health educator. I'm a trainee psychotherapist um, and a podcast host. That is where I am in time right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's me. Well, we are so excited to talk to you, Alex, and as a, a fellow mental health provider and just nerd, I love <laughs> I love that you really have a lot of this experience and specialty around existential mental health. Yeah. And so I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about A, just what this means, right? And then how this ties into really the importance and challenges we face when it comes to like living authentically and how does this tie together? And I'm, I'm sure there's so much in there, but just get us started. <laughs> right. So I get asked this question quite a bit, so I should be well-versed in it, but I'm always, I always struggle to find the entry point in. And the only way that I can uh, fully describe it is through a story. <laughs> but um, no, when I, when I was 18, 19, I studied French and Spanish at university and um in the French in the French side of the course, um, a lot of philosophers came out of France um, post-war, uh, well, around wartime. So just before um, occupation and then thereafter, there were a lot of um, philosophers around, such as um, Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, um, Albert Camus. Albert Camus wrote um, the, the Stranger and The Fall, and he wrote a lot of these existential texts, and they were known as the existentialists. Um, They made the philosophy a lot more popular, but the idea around existentialism is that um, it's it's based on the premise that existence precedes essence. So we are here on earth with our purpose, and we are driven by our purpose, and uh, it's based on four tenets of responsibility, um, authenticity, um, consequences and freedom. Um, Simone de Beauvoir then came in because um, she was with um, with Sartre, um, and she she said that when it comes to those four tenets, it's important to note that power 
is a key part of our personal choices and our personal self-actualization because um, Sartre was very much in the privileged position of being a man, being white, being heterosexual, being in that particular element and time in France. There were certain things that he could choose because his thing was that everybody is free, everybody's born free, everybody has this um, idea of what freedom means to them. <clears throat> so Simone was like, no, like I'm a woman. So there is this level of oppression. Um, and then I started reading into that a lot. And, you know, when you're 18, 19, these things are heavy. Like, you're like, oh, wow, like, you get really dark. I really had this existential moment. Everything was black and white for me. It was just like, life has no purpose or meaning. It's just, you know. Um, but then um, as I, I, I finished that and I went to, um, I went through the process of studying um, journalism. I became a journalist for five years and then I became, um, then I left that and I started writing, wrote my book um, and then I started training as a psychotherapist and one of the modules was about um, existential psychotherapy. So I was like, wow, my degree is coming into use now because, you know, there's this whole thing of when you finish university, you're like, oh, what am I going to use my degree for? Most people go and get a postgraduate degree and then they're not using their degree in the way they wanted to. I'd stopped using my languages. It was just very much just straight up writing. And um, so, yeah, then they started saying, oh, okay, so these are the existential approaches to psychotherapy. And obviously psychotherapy is one of those um, disciplines where you have to, where it's working with a client or working with somebody who and to get them from one place, like to to go and like really help them figure out what is happening with them, so they can kind of move on to the next thing. And um, existential psychotherapy is just the approaches of existentialism applied to it. The same way that you can have mind body therapy, solution focused therapy, um, you know, humanistic, all of these other kind of things that you just put in front of therapy. And um, it's a it's an approach where you look at the person's individual right to freedom and to choices and the responsibility and consequences. So you'll be looking at things where people are thinking, should I have an affair? <laughs> um, should I, like, do, am I being a good father? Am I a good father? Am I a good mother? Um, am, I, am I a good person? What is happening like, with this? It's a whole phenomenon that happens with inside us. Um, when we go through particular things in life, we experience so much. Um, and it does mess with the way that we think about the world and the way we see the world, especially when there's somebody who feels that they are absolutely powerless in a situation. That is one of the most crippling things. And I can attest to that like, personally. Um, and it's not until you find your personal power that you can then become um, different and make a step and change the things that you want to change. So um, I started really delving into everything existential. I was, I went, I just, I'm somebody, once I find something, I'm, I'm a Ravenclaw. So I love that from Harry, the Harry Potter reference there. I literally dive into everything. I find a focus in on one thing and I'm just in it for like at least six months to a year. And um, I want to know everything about it. And I think that um, we all have this level of, existential angst um whereby the, the the biggest anxiety of a human of a person is the fact of inevitable death so that is one thing if you and you know i started applying that to the stoic philosophies and it was just really interesting where it all kind of came from and um yeah that is me and um so when i wrote my book 
Tata Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, the core question in there was, what does it mean to be a man today? What does it mean for men to be men today? What kind of, what element of masculinity do we bring forward? Um, and as you've seen across the world and in the cultural zeitgeist of the West right now, we're having a huge like, re, like insurgence of what masculinity does for the world, what it does for us. Right. So I'm asking all these questions <laughs> and, um, and I feel like I'm, I owe it to myself to ask these questions. And then that's kind of where I apply existential psychotherapy to things. I hope that's <laughs> the answer that you like. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and I think that, well, thank you for giving us the context too. And, um, you know, I'm so glad you found something that you could just lean into. And I totally relate with like, when you find something and you're like, this is awesome. I want to know everything. Right. So, um, very cool that you found this and, and that you've been able to share so much of this with the world. I am really curious though. And, and what your advice would be, because I think so often, we get stuck in these myths, right. That we believe about ourselves. And like, it's so hard to kind of get out of our own way of, mm. of kind of what's going on internally with the narrative. So what advice do you give to our listeners around how to really undo those myths that we believe about ourselves? Um, I always say to people, um, especially when I work as a coach with people, I'm always questioning um, where do you believe that these myths have come from? We tend to think that these myths and beliefs are something that is just inherent, inherent to us. So the only way I could really explain this is um, when I was in therapy myself and my therapist had already done extensive work with me because I was a very difficult client. Um, I just did not trust <laughs> for like two years with her, but I was still there. I showed up every week, but I just did not trust. Um, and we got to a point and then we spoke about, there was one point we spoke about values, all right? And then that was really important. I had to kind of really sit down and address what meant um, a lot to me. And, you know, it's the core values of my book, which is love, belonging and connection. And then I was like, yeah, I've got my values. I've got everything. I'm like, I'm fine. Like, this, is what I, this is what I know. My friends have to meet that. My family have to meet that. Everybody new in my life has to meet that. And then we sat down one session and she said, okay, let's talk about your core beliefs. And I said, I've spoken about my core beliefs. This is what we wrote. And she's like, those aren't your beliefs. They're your values. What are your beliefs? And I said, hey, you're playing mind games with me. I see, I see what you're doing here. Um, and she's like, no, I'm not playing mind games. I'm actually asking you what your beliefs are. She's like, there's no psychobabble trick here. And I was like, okay. So I had to sit back and I said, I don't know what it is in the end. I had to concede to that. Right. And then I went away and I started I to research the difference between beliefs and values and really sat down and explored that. And I had to write down all the things I believed about myself that were inherently told to me taught to me, expressed to me, whether that be directly or indirectly, um, and then how that has shown up in my life as an adult man, right? And um, in doing all of that, I've really sat down and thought, wow, all of these beliefs are not mine. None of this is mine. And I'm holding all of these things that so many people have in, like, put to me and said to me and 
acted like acted out towards me so I had to go about trying to undo those beliefs so I say all that to say when we are looking at our beliefs and we're doing belief work really sit down and think about all the things that we believe about ourselves things that we believe about the world things that we believe about others and try to really really think hard about where they came from which one of those were come came from your dad when he was angry with his experience which part of this came from your mom when she was frustrated about something or when or when she was trying to console you but you felt comforted by something that you, you carried to the next bit what what kind of what happened along the way from your siblings or your cousins or school friends or teachers where did all these beliefs come from and i think that it's so it's important to really think about those things and that's where i would say to people for people to look at really just kind of go and do go and examine where these things come from and to spend time really having that honest conversation with yourself ARS University is the perfect go-to resource for anyone looking to learn more about mental health, addiction, and other related topics. The on-demand library offers a wealth of engaging and informative content that can help you gain a deeper understanding of these complex subjects. With ARS University, you'll have everything you need to empower yourself with knowledge and support. To learn more, go to www.arsuniversity.com. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I first really realized, I think, when I started practicing with people after doing a lot of my own work, but still being in the thick of it, right? So being in therapy, doing the hard work, and then starting to work with others is you really realize how how hard it is to move forward when you don't have access to that own sort of self-realization, but then you don't have the tools to kind of get there. Right. So what I've noticed when I work with other people too, that are really stuck is it's sort of like, they've never considered that, right. They don't, they don't really sit back and think about well, what are my values? And then how does that sort of blend into my belief system? Where did mm. this come from? Because no one's actually ever, you know, we don't sit down with ourselves and give ourselves the space to do that. And so one of the great things about therapy is, you know, somebody's telling you that this is something you need to do, right. And actually take that time for yourself. Um, which as you said, um, and I agree is, is just so important. And you brought up a, a couple really great examples of when I think, and particularly, you know, certainly at different points in time for, um, for all of us, but you mentioned, when this really hit home for you, but I think for listeners and people who've really gone through a lot in the past couple of years for a lot of different reasons. Right. Um, but more specifically with a lot of these issues you're bringing up around, um, you know, men and masculinity, of course, we have a lot of other sort of societal issues, cultural issues that have come up, um, obviously the pandemic. So for a lot of these reasons, how have you seen this sort of shim uh, shift and impact of sort of realization of some of these new things coming up for people. And what has that been like as you've really, you know, been a leader in this space to kind of say, Hey, you know, we're experiencing something new. This can actually help guide you toward figuring out how to focus on a life of purpose and belonging. Although right now you're, you may be feeling really confused, lost, what have you, what's that been like? It's been very difficult and it's been difficult because when a large amount of my work is directed at men, 
Um, but it's also directed at people who love men. So it's whoever comes, but I'm just directed at men. And when it's directed there, um, I find that men are the hardest people to change or to, to want to change because progress, progress, if we look at the way that progress has happened across time and across the world um, throughout history, whether that be the fight for women's rights and vote, the fight for civil rights, the, the environment, the um, right, like obviously I said racial rights, um, yeah, queer rights, all of these different things where oppressed minorities have to fight for something. Men in itself, like as in masculinity in itself and men in themselves, their fight is so integral and internal to so many different things. Like we are taught to mask a lot of stuff, to hide a lot of stuff, to keep things inside. A progressive stance, say a protest around, for men would probably, a progressive one would look like, oh, men being able to, um, to really fight for paternal rights or to really fight for um, emotional and intelligence among boys or to really fight for th those are the things that would really center in around um, a, men, a men's progress but the kind of established and established network and structures of patriarchy and of you know I hate using this term but the toxic side of masculinity um, inhibits us from being able to fight for that so we move all of that energy away from ourselves and put it into things that are external to us. So we, so there will be some men that then fight for the environment and then that's all they're fighting for. And there will be some men who fight for queer rights because so that's what they're fighting for or be allies to that. And the same with racial justice and then gender justice. But all the other fights are integral to somebody's identity and to somebody's um, personhood. So the question is for me is where and when will we be able to, as men, really be, want to stand up for our own fight as and healing as men and able to allow and create this progress to then move forward together with everybody? Because obviously we intersect, we're human beings, we're on this earth together, we intersect in all of those societies and all of those communities. But as men, we're so disconnected from one another and then, and then other, and quote unquote, other people, <laughs> i.e. genders and whatnot, that we're stalling a lot of this progress and we're kind of hoarding it. So things just don't want to change. You have leaders in power who don't want to shift certain ideals and identities. You've got, and then that, fit, that structures, like that structures um, dwindles down to institutions as, you know, it goes from schools to healthcare all the way down to the home, like literally. And it's just really kind of, it's so interwoven in so many parts of our society that if men were to actually grab that opportunity to change fully and then progress forward, a lot of, a lot of men's mental health issues would diminish in so many ways. And I wouldn't say diminish as in like, poof, it's just gone. But I mean, the process of the process of deconstructing and delineating all of those those ties, that pressure, the um, the the shame, the deep shame, the the real kind of things that hold that that 
keep men disconnected and away from so many different things would change. And I think that that's where it is. So I find that it's really difficult to kind of really tap in to, to that part. So I work with young, young men um, who are around 16, 17, a lot of the time as well. And, it, and it's really interesting to see where their perspectives of manhood has come from, what it means, where, what they can change, the things that they don't agree with, but they uphold anyway, sort of thing. And it's just one of those conversations that we need to continue to have. We have to have those conversations about consent. We have to have those conversations about safety and safe spaces. We have to have those conversations about oppressive language, um, things that men are not taught to be careful about. And if they are taught to change those things, it's this whole, oh, I can't say anything now. It's this, and you're just like, what do you mean you can't say anything now? Life progresses. And if, why are you holding on to something that is oppressing another person? And it's just one of those things. And you see it in all areas of oppressed and oppressive and, you know, um, um, and dominant culture sides and all these different things. So yeah, it's difficult. It's challenging. I'm optimistic. Um, but so I keep pushing on with the work. Um, but yeah, when it comes to our mental health and the way that we end up seeing the world and seeing others, that is a key part. I think that's the last, that's the missing puzzle, you know? After all this time, we've had conversations about race, we've had conversations about um, sexuality and gender loving. Um, and and we've had conversations about ability, we've had conversations about women and gender rights, we've had conversations about the family, we've had all these conversations, but the, the real conversation that is upholding like a lot of this and, hold, and trying to hold into that oppressive line together is masculinity and we're not having that conversation. And it's very difficult because some people, a lot of people don't want to have it. Well, I'm areas. so glad that you're having it. And I mean, you've definitely been using your voice. You've got a podcast, you've written a book, you're constantly connecting with your community, which is so important and just continuing to have those really important conversations. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing. And you. Know we're coming up close on time here, but we love to ask every guest that comes on our show at this point in your life, what matters most to you right now? At this point in life, what matters most to me right now? Um, in the very immediate and just my own personal situation, I really just want to make sure that I'm doing the best possible work I can. So I'm giving myself a lot of space to finish my studies, to write well, to be able to create and craft actual like shows that, are, that people want to listen to and actually want to take away some, as a level of learning and understanding and care um, and do my book proud, you know? I want to be able to, I've written it, but I want to be able to uphold what, it, what, it, what it's, um, its values. Um, but also on a more, on a wider level, it's important, what's important to me is that we have, we have these conversations. We continue to have these conversations. And it's not about, this whole thing where you go in with one set of ideas and you, and you hold on to those ideas for the rest of your, your time and you're having conversations. I'm open to knowing more and changing my mind and knowing different, right? I'm open to all of those perspectives and all these different things. Not everybody's going to agree, not everyone's going to have the, the same perspective and same view, but 
that's the joy of us all being able to learn together and move together. Um, so my my hope is that, and the one thing that I'm that matters most to me is that we get to a place where we can actually sit down and have a conversation that is progressive and can actually really push us, push us in a, in a, in a direction that is to change. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Alex. And Absolutely we, I, welcome. I know we're really looking forward to seeing what you're going to do next and how you're going to continue to support, you know, yourself and the community and um, just love the conversations that you're continuing to have. So thank you so much again. And thank you for joining us. Can you just share with our listeners how we can follow you either on social media or otherwise? Um, The best place to go is my website, which is Alex Holmes. So A-L-E-X-H-O-L-M-E-S dot C-O. So not .co.uk, not .com, just .co. And um, everything's there. It has my publication on Substack, which is called Liminalities. And that's an essay every other week with a, with a, somebody, with a writer about their mental health. Um, then my podcast is on there, Time to Talk, uh, with Alex Holmes. There's my book, Time to Talk. And then my Instagram links are there too. And um, all the other places you can contact me. So that's all there. So just go, just head there. Amazing. So everyone check it out. And thank you again to Alex for being our amazing guest today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not already subscribed, we hope you join us regularly and please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that this podcast is beneficial to you and your wellness journey. Dear Mind You Matter is brought to you by Nobu, a new mental health and wellness app. You can download it today using the link in our show notes. We'll talk to you next time. And until then, remember, you and your mind matter.